He's Henry Gomez, an ad agency strategist with over 27 years of experience. And he's Howard Ibach, a former copywriter and creative director and the author of two books on the creative brief. And together, we're the Brief Brothers, having an ongoing conversation about advertising, uh, creative briefs, and briefing. Howard, we're back. And uh, today, I thought we'd um, have some brief advice for clients. Um, I was reflecting on some of the common uh, mistakes um, that I see uh, clients make in reference to briefs. And this can ha be in the world of if they're managing an agency or if they're uh, overseeing briefs within their own organization. So I thought uh, I could share and I, I narrowed it down. I had a, a longer list, but I narrowed it down to about four things that are, you know, actionable by clients today to really improve um, the brief and therefore, ideally, the creative work that they're getting from whoever's doing the creative. It's a great topic, Henry. This is a great idea. So uh, I'm just going to jump right in. And, and, and a lot of these themes we've talked about before, naturally, and we allude to them. Well, I think the purpose today is to go a little bit more in depth into some of them. And one of the major problems that I have um, and I've seen, I've observed with clients regarding a brief, especially when they're approving a, an agency's creative brief, but it might, again, it might be an internal brief, but as they're like looking at a brief, it's the literal interpretation of the brief and they're scrutinizing every word in a brief as if it were ad copy. And the truth is, that a brief is really like a hand-drawn map. Uh, the client shouldn't be worrying about the way that we drew the bridges and the landmarks on the map, right? Instead, they should be analyzing how comfortable they are with the route that we're suggesting. Um, a creative brief is an agency's recommendation for which neighborhood we want to play in. Um, the client really only needs to feel comfortable with the neighborhood. They shouldn't be overly scrutinizing the map. Um, I think that's a great analogy, Henry, because the, the whole notion of literalness can be taken to such an extreme. And I hear this all the time when I'm doing training uh, from when my workshops and people have, a, have this bizarre tendency to, to see in the words of the brief, not only the, you know, the literalness, but they're, they're, it's like it's giving direction, offering solutions rather than giving direction. And that's something that I think is aggravating and frustrating for the agency and for the creatives. They want to, they want to have direction, not prescription. This is what happens when they get literal. Absolutely right. And, you know, I, I honestly think the client needs to be reminded that the brief is the agency's document and in turn to, intended to serve the agency's needs. They have their own document, right? The communications brief, mm -hmm. the a client. So the client should be giving the agencies more latitude when evaluating briefs. And when they want to change, that change should be for like a big picture thing. Like the agency missed something or something changed on the client side. They shouldn't be focusing on minutia of, of the, of the creative uh, briefs. I, I, I just, it, I, I think that it, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy and it, and it saps morale, honestly. I agree with you because the other thing that happens in the situations like this is that the client confuses the creative brief for po possible potential public facing language and it's not. 
It's meant, to, it's meant to send the creatives down a path, as you suggested, to put them on a route in the right neighborhood. But you, you know, as a creative, I understand that the process can be nudged along, but you don't know what's going to happen once you've sent me on my way. And you've talked about this many times before. You have to be humble as a strategist to be prepared to be surprised when the creative comes back. I, the analogy I use is that when we're like Dorothy on, on her way to the Wizard of Oz, the yellow brick road is going to go in all different directions. We're going to have sidetracks along the way. And that's how the creative process works. So a client who sees the creative brief as this literal spelled out step-by-step -step, uh, direction, as opposed to just go down this road and see where it leads you is setting him or herself up for trouble big time. Uh I have firsthand experience with clients that look <laughs> at a brief and they're already imagining the creative that's going to come out of it. And right. so they don't like what they're Im imagining. They start getting uncomfortable with the brief and they have no clue what the creatives are going to come back from based on a brief right. because I don't have a clue what the creatives are going to come back from. There's a magical moment between the time of the briefing and the time of the presentation of the creative yeah. where things come out of the ether, things come from wherever they come from, ideas are generated. And it's not the idea that you're thinking about Mr. Client when you read the words on the brief. So I think that they there needs to be a little bit more respect paid to that magic moment and let them do the magic instead of trying to prescribe everything ahead yeah. of time and cut off avenues of ideation ahead of time. Right. Now, before we hit the record button, you were intimating what you wanted to talk about next, which I think is a really brilliant point. And I'll summarize by saying, getting the stakeholders aligned. Why don't you talk more about that? That's a great, great idea. Yeah. Great notion. So, I, you know, the creative brief and the evaluation of the creative brief should not be where stakeholders argue their points against each other. Like all that stuff should be hashed out before the agency gets its communication brief or its right. you know assignment start. Um, it's not up to the agency to referee those disputes. Um, I'm going to give you an example. If you're a brand that has, uh, let's say you're going to introduce a new product, there's it, and that product is part of a line. There's two different ways you could advertise that product, right? It's it's about a new product that's an extension of a line or it's about a line that now has a new extension. It seems like those two things are the same, but they're not. Like, is it about the line and how it's being enhanced? Or is it about the product and how it is now enhancing this existing line? So if stakeholder A is in love with the product and stakeholder B is in love with the line, it shouldn't be up to the agency to have to figure that out. They should hash it out. And, and, and that's just an example. Uh, I could give you a million examples like that of things that should just be litigated ahead of time before the agency starts writing its creative brief. I, I think, you know, we've talked about this before as it relates to strategy. We've heard so many times before that marketers have a tendency to use the creative process to figure out the strategy when they should have that first. So this is part of a bigger picture of what, what does the, the client need to do first before it gets the agency involved and how much of this does the agency have to play? And this is a, a, this is a great example of crossing that line and shoving into the agency's world something that doesn't really belong with them at all. 
We need yep. to avoid that. Here, we need to... It's like, you know, they, they throw you a tray of stuff and tell you to catch it. You know, it's like, right. how am I going to catch it all without, you know, it's, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Okay. And the next one I love as well. I mean, these are, you, you had some great ideas here. This is a great topic. You said that there tends to be this, a misalignment, talking about alignment, a misalignment or a conflict in the understanding of what an insight is. Yep. Talk about, and, talk about and, that. So I think the word insight is like very subjective and everybody has a different idea of, of what an, what an insight is. And to me, the litmus test of an insight is, is it true? And is this the most actionable or favorable truth we can use for this assignment? Right? Like, tell me something that's true that, that, is that our understand getting that understanding of it is going to propel this assignment for and there might be multiple things that are true but which is the best one and um you know i had a one client that on a on the brief it said you know insight what is the consumer understanding that will inspire brand growth but one of the errors that i see a lot is their interpretation of what that consumer understanding is they a lot of times take it to mean from the consumer's point of view, their understanding of the world, right? And I'm arguing that actually it's our understanding of the consumer and how they participate in our world that is important because consumers, a lot of times, aren't even aware of why they do the things they do. It's us, the professionals that have been reading the research, listening to them, observing the things that they don't say during the interviews, and piecing together the psychology that a lot of times they don't, they're not even aware of. So I think, one, the insight should be true. It should be something actionable. And also, it should be our understanding of the consumer um, whether the consumer knows about it, about themselves or not. You know, I've heard you say before, Henry, that sometimes the word insight itself causes paralysis because it forces us to try to come up with something. And we know that there's so much weight attached to this thing called the insight. It's the holy grail of, of a brief. And you sometimes prefer to not even use the word insight. You said before that looking for that interesting tidbit, that phrase, the interesting tidbit, might be might pull the pressure off of the person who's trying to find it and help us get to that point of interest. Yeah, the word insight comes loaded with so much expectation. Right. Right. That it's going to be this earth moving. I and sometimes they're obvious, like you you go like this and you go, well, that's it. That's the insight. Like this is why consumers act this way. Or this is why they do this in this category. And it doesn't have to be this thing that nobody's ever pondered before. It just has to be true and interesting enough that it's meaty that we can ideate around. You know, I remember when we were discussing and when I was reading about the insight that, that the folks who did the Got Milk campaign arrived at. And when I read about it, it was that very same thing. It's like, well, duh. It was something very simple. Milk is something that is never consumed by itself. Well, I suppose there are some people like, like what was that? Was that um, that that star had a had a cop show where he drank milk all the time? It was Buddy Ebsen. I forget his, who his, the name of his TV show. Barnaby Jones. Barnaby Jones, right? That's all he drank milk all the time. So he would. He's one of the rare guys who had milk all by itself. But the rest of us always have milk and cookies, milk. cake. Right. Uh, and so they came up with this insight that what happens. What happens when we don't, when we run out of milk, 
It's just that it's something, it's one of those everyday consumer items that we just forget about because yep. it's so ubiquitous. And that was a very simple insight that I think became very powerful. It's not earth shattering. If I, if I walked up to you in a business meeting and said at the milk production board, you know what the thing about milk is, people don't buy milk by itself. You know, they don't consume it by itself. They consume it as a complement to something else. Say, so, yeah, no, you're shit, Jones. <laughs> no, no, no shit, Sherlock. Um, yeah. But that creates an avenue to talk about like, well, it's, it's what they call like a deprivation exercise. I mean, the whole campaign of Got Milk is a deprivation exercise. Is imagining yourself in this situation in which the ideal pairing is milk, but you don't have milk. Right. Because you forgot. Yeah. And that, and that launched some phenomenal creative that we still talk about. Exactly. And the fourth, the fourth one that you want to mention, this is something dear to my heart, so I'll let you bring it up. The single-minded proposition <laughs> or the one thing we must communicate right. that is not single-minded. You know, I oh really, really, the, I think people look at this answer in the brief and they want it to contain everything as if it were a self-contained brief. Like if the product is new, then the word new must be in the, mm -hmm. in the single-minded proposition. If, uh, if it's only available for a limited time, then that has to be in the single-minded proposition. And my argument is no, it doesn't. Like we could put that in the mandatories um, that we have to say new, uh, that we have to say that it's for a limited time, things like that. Really the proposition is why buy this product or why consider this product or why whatever. And, and the rest of the brief should support that that one thing or that single-minded proposition so that we don't have to have it redundantly spread out throughout the brief. And so that our brief isn't like a long run on sentence that lasts, you know, a uh, hundred words. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, when I do my training in the, in the workshop training, uh, one of the things I say is if your single-minded proposition has the word and in it, guess what? It's not single-minded anymore. So when I see, the trainees, people in my in my workshop, write their examples of single-minded propositions for some of the products and exercises we do. They'll get clever and drop the word "and" and use a comma, and yeah. and, and and think that I'm just going to miss it. It's like yeah. no, it's like no. Just because you drop the conjunction doesn't mean I don't see that there are two things going on there. So it's a like the insight. It's one of those things that freaks people out. It it causes a lot of anxiety because there is a lot of weight attached to it, and a lot of creatives say, as I have said. When I get a brief, it's the first thing I look at. It's not the only thing I look at, but it's what I go right for. If that isn't a good line, at least clear, maybe not clever, but if it's not clear, I might have a problem with the brief. That's so people why, freak out. That's why in briefings, I never give the sheet of paper to the creatives. Good idea. I, I, I typically like, I'll, <laughs> I'll write it, I'll write it on a Word document, but then I'll put it into a PowerPoint where I can sequentially reveal the elements of the brief leading up to the single-minded proposition. So I have their attention. I'm building the story as we go. Right. And, and, and that, that's why I do that. What I want to remind our viewers, because you've said this many times before, you don't withhold the brief from the creatives before the briefing. You've always shared it with your creative director. So there's, there's good collaboration between the creative and you. Correct. The, the distinction being that at the briefing, there are usually going to be rank and file creatives that right. will not have seen the brief. I will have um, 
shared this brief and bounced it off of the creative director and or his delegate, whoever, for this particular assignment. But there's usually a larger creative uh, team that's going to work on the assignment that has not seen the brief. And that's the purpose of the briefing is, is to walk right. them through it. Exactly. Okay, so we've had four really good brief tips for clients regarding the creative brief. Let's just do a repeat. So first, don't interpret the brief literally. It's not public facing language. It's not advertising copy. It's direction, not solutions. And what is it? What was the second one, Henry, about stakeholders? I got to scroll up. Oh, alignment from stakeholders. Alignment from stakeholders. Before asking the agency to embark on a creative assignment, because the brief isn't the place to litigate those differences. Exactly. And we see that a lot. The third one, which was great. Actually, the, the third and the fourth are, are things that cause a lot of paralysis. One is this conflict or misunderstanding of what an insight is. And it should be something we know about the consumer that's true and actionable, not necessarily something that the consumers know. Right. And the fourth one, which we share, we have a passion for this fourth one. Single-minded means single-minded. Single one thing minded. means one thing. And don't be pedantic about a new product. Say it must say new in the one thing or in the single-minded proposition. Those are mandatories and things that can be elsewhere in the brief that don't have to be in the one thing. The one thing, when you add in all that advertising jargon, like new must uh, for a limited time only, um, it just it makes it less memorable and less likely to inspire. Good stuff, Henry. Good stuff, Howard. He's Henry Gomez. And he's Howard Eibach. And together, we're the Brief Brothers. Till next time. Bye-bye.